0: Well, come on, somebody, make some noise if you're glad to be in church today. Come on. Welcome, welcome to week number six of our series, Greatest of All Time, Lessons from the Life of Jesus. Last week, we all got a lesson from Dr. Todd Merrill. Come on, put your hands together. Let's honor Dr. Todd. Did a great job last week. Next week, Mother's Day. Sunday. I I need to tell you about next week. We've always approached Mother's Day differently than maybe most churches, and that's because statistically speaking, not so much this church, but statistically speaking, women generally make up the greatest demographic of just about every church. And so actually, this was my wife's idea. She said, I think the greatest gift that we could give women on Mother's Day is a service that the men in their life would enjoy. Come on, somebody. A, a service that you can invite your son to, your, your husband to, your friends to. Just and, and let me tell you, next weekend, it is a service that not only will everybody enjoy, but I can, I can promise you this, you are going to laugh and you are going to cry and you are going to be utterly amazed at the transforming power of our God, what we have in store next week. Nobody wants to miss this. I I believe it is the most powerful one-on-one story that we've ever had the opportunity to share in all of our 10 years as a church. I'll be sitting down with a man who at the age of 17 was charged and convicted of murder. He would spend 33, the next 33 years of his life in prison and behind bars. For 13 of those years in prison, he would rise to become one of the, the leaders of the Aryan nation. Anybody familiar with the Aryan nation? It's a racist, neo-Nazi, white supremacist gang. He became one of its most violent members. at the age of 30, he had a moment with Jesus that changed his life forever. I'm telling you, church, I've met a lot of people this side of heaven. I've seen God do miracles in many people's lives. But when I spend time with this man, it's, it's truly, I, I think this man might look more like Jesus than just about any man that I've ever met this side of heaven. Truly a Saul to Paul conversion story. And you're just gonna have to be here to see it and hear it and feel it. So let me just encourage you next weekend, it should be every weekend, but but next weekend is a bring everybody you know to church kind of weekend. Bring your family, all of them, your whole family, bring all your friends to church, invite everybody that you work with. I believe we are going to have an encounter with the spirit of God like never before. You're gonna be challenged, you're gonna be inspired. God is good, amen. And anybody ready for Mother's Day weekend? Come on, anybody ready for just an incredible move of God that we're we're anticipating? Listen, wherever you're joining us from right now, in person, online, on television, from one of the hundreds of prisons that are tuned in right now, we are honored to worship alongside of you, especially if you're watching behind bars today. Just know next weekend, we're all gonna be hearing from... One of your own, and not only does Stan have an incredible story to tell—a personal story—but he was just released this past October. And so, what Stan what Stan brings to our church? Watch this. What he brings to our church is is not just an incredible story, but a a very unique and and hands-on um, perspective from behind bars as to the impact and the influence that this church is having behind. Bars. He actually uh, became a part of Rock City while he was still serving his time, and now he's out, and, and he's a part even still. And so, if you're watching behind bars today, just know next week, don't miss it. Okay, don't miss next week. Lord, would you uh, would you just guide this message by your Holy Spirit? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word today? We are grateful for your presence. We're grateful for who you are, for what you've done, for what you're doing what we get to be a part of. And we want to give you all honor and all glory because it all belongs to you. Would you minister to each one like only you can? Those who are near and those who are far, far from you, and even those who are far physically, maybe listening in a car or watching on a treadmill or sitting in a jail cell. Would you do a work like only you can do in Jesus' name? everybody said amen come on one more time would you put your hands together for for jesus he's worthy amen he's worthy we are just about through this series the greatest of all time we've covered a lot of ground in six weeks we've we've covered the greatest covenant the greatest challenge the greatest commission the greatest confidence the greatest commitment next week in Stan's story, I believe you will see the greatest commandment at work in the story we'll share. But today I, wanna, I want us to understand what Jesus points to as the greatest competitor, the greatest competitor of all the things that Jesus could have pointed to, of every issue in life, of all of the challenges and Pitfalls, impossible distractions in life. When it comes to naming the greatest competitor for our hearts, Jesus does not mince words. This is like the Tim Tebow of the scripture. Come on, somebody. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he said this No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus talks about money. He goes on in this passage to say, now, do not worry. Matter of fact, the next thing he says is do not worry because Jesus understands that money is something we tend to worry about. We worry about what we have and what we don't have and think we need to have. We worry about what other people have and what we think they ought to have or what we wish they didn't have. We, we, we think about money all the time. And yet Jesus, though he could have chosen anything, he decides to put money in this passage. You cannot serve both God and money. Why not God or, or people? Why not, why not God and, and fame? Why, why not put anything else here? Why the focus on money? Jesus talked about money twice as much as he talked about heaven and hell. Nearly half of all the parables that Jesus taught, 16 of the 38 parables, has to do with money. There are more than 500 verses in the Bible about faith and prayer, more than 2,000 verses in the Bible about money and possessions. Why the focus on money? Well, I have an answer to that question. You might want to push back, some of you, just a bit, but I would encourage you to go here with me for a moment. You might not want to believe this, but I believe it is absolutely true that money is far more a spiritual issue than it is a physical issue. And I can show you in the Word of God, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he says this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money is far more a spiritual issue than a physical one. Jesus is saying, I can tell you the condition of your heart by watching what you do with the money that I've given you. It is a spiritual issue. Money, according to Jesus, literally has the power and the potential to determine the trajectory of your heart. Now, why does it matter the trajectory of our heart? Well, let's just ask a question. What is the one thing that God desires from you that only you can give God? What is the one thing that God desires from me that only I have the power to give God? It's my heart. It's your heart. The one thing that God desires from you that only you can give God, it's your heart. The one thing that God desires from me that only I can give to God, it is my heart. You can't give my heart to God for me. Only I can give God my heart. The one thing that God desires from you more than anything, and it's the only thing that only you can give, it is your heart. God doesn't need your money. What he's after is your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. What's the first of the Ten Commandments? Anybody know Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3? God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first of the Ten Commandments. Jesus, you cannot serve both God and money. For where your treasure is, there too will your heart be also. It sounds to me like Jesus is far more concerned with the condition of our heart than he is with the fullness of our bank accounts. The focus on money in the scripture has very little to do with money. It has everything to do with the condition of our heart. And according to Jesus, the number one competitor for our heart is money. Now it's a challenge for many and the reason it's a challenge for many is it's all about perspective and the perspective is bigger than money. This has everything to do with perspective, and it's not just the perspective of what you and I have been given, but it's also the perspective of what you and I are here for. It has everything to do with perspective and purpose, leaning into the right perspective, seeing the world through the right perspective, and living with the appropriate purpose, God's purpose for our lives. And to understand the right perspective, to see the world through the right perspective, and to understand our purpose, we need to go all the way back to the very beginning. The book of Genesis chapter 1, first four words in all the word, in the beginning, God. God. I would even submit to you that these aren't just the first four words. They are the most important words in all the word without which there would be no other word. Come on, somebody. Without which there would be no life. If there is no God, there's no life. If there's no God, there's no hope. If not these four words, there would be no other word. This world would not be, life would not be. Without God, there has been nothing. Without God, there is nothing. Without God, there will never be anything. It all starts and ends with God. Everything starts and ends with God. And so I'm preaching this message today, just like Jesus taught on money so often. I'm preaching this message today, not because the church needs your money. I can tell you this, the church does not need your money. I can prove it to you. I'm preaching this message because this this has everything to do with the desire that God has for our heart. Let me just go ahead and prove it to you that this church doesn't need your money to do all the things that we get to do together. If you're worried that all we're after is your money, then don't give your money to this church. Be generous someplace else. Go find a church that you can believe in and be generous in, but, but here, here's how I can tell you that we don't need your money. Everything we get to do as a church together, all the ministry that we get to be a part of, the kids' ministry, the youth ministry, which by the way, tonight's youth night. Come on, somebody, anybody ready for youth night? If you're a teenager, you need to be a youth night. If you're the parent or a grandparent of a teenager, get them to youth night. It doesn't matter if they don't want to come. They're not the parent. Come on, somebody. (laughs) You don't have a choice. You still live at home. (laughs) That's not even in my notes. I'm just helping you out. Most kids want to be at youth night. If you're in 6th grade through 12th grade, you need to be a youth night. But anyway, if you're a parent of a kid that's just kind of giving you a hard time, just bring them and drop them off. We'll take care of everything else. I promise you. We'll get them saved. We'll get them straightened out with your help and your prayer. All the family ministry that we get to do, all the marriage ministry, the singles ministry, the counseling we get to offer, All the relief work that we get to do, both local and global, all the hundreds of thousands of meals that we get to serve together, all the development centers that we get to build for kids around the world, all the children sponsored, all the Dream Center work, including the building of Dream Centers, all the local and global missions and outreach all the pastors and and missionaries around the world that are fully funded by this church, all the teacher appreciation outreach, all the backpacks filled with supplies and brand new pairs of shoes given to kids in need every single year, all the ministry and outreach to the homeless, all the learning extension center sites that that we get to operate all across our city for kids that haven't been in school for more than a year. Come on, somebody. All the buildings that we get to build where we get to invite people into the presence of God and we see people saved every single week and every single day in our 10-year history, we've seen seven people saved a day for 10 years and counting. Come on, somebody. All of it, all of it seven people a day, 10 years and counting. There's no sign it's slowing down anytime soon. Praise God. All the prisons we get to be in, all the COVID outreach we've been able to celebrate all year long. Not just that we get to be on TV, reaching people on TV, but we get to be on TV in three different markets and online. All the reasons why so many people love this church, I want you to hear this. It is all paid for and provided by basically a third of everybody who calls Rock City Church home. One person in the front cuz they're one of, they're in that they're, they're in that 33%. <laughs> yes. Kingdom Crowns, man. This is a great investment. <laughs> I just want you to see this. Of all, and this isn't to, this isn't to shame anybody. It's just this is just reality. It's just the truth. I, I want you to see this. Of all the people who attend Rock City Church in 2020, 2020, 34% gave at least $500. That's tithe on $5,000. It's from $500 to $500,000. It's all in that. About 34%. 33% gave less than $500. 33% gave nothing. So 33% just show up and consume and and everybody else. So really it's about, I don't know, 67% are, are really engaged and in the game. And I would say if you're a part of that 67%, thank you, thank you, thank you. There are kingdom crowns waiting for you. Come on, we're a part of making heaven full. We can't do this without you. But the reason I would say we don't need your money to, to do what we're doing is because there, there are already people funding the work of the ministry that we get to be a part of. If, it, now, if a greater percentage of people who call Rock City Church home would say, Hey, I don't want to just show up and, and be, I want to participate, then what you would see happen is ministry would just continue to go up into the right. We'd build more campuses. We'd probably be looking at Dayton, just like we're looking on the east side, about to launch a campus on the east side. We'd be already building a campus, a bigger campus in Polaris. We'd be building more dream centers. We'd be, we'd be feeding more hungry people. We'd be doing more homeless outreach. We'd be supporting more missionaries and pastors overseas. We'd be planting more churches. Everything we do, it would be up and to the right. The more people decide, hey, I'm going to not just be, but I'm going to participate. But all of that is for another day. Day. What I want us to understand today is this message isn't about your money, it's about your heart, it's about our purpose, it's about perspective. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to continue to read on just for a moment. It says this that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you read on, you'll, you'll know that in five days God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the sky and the sea, the birds in the air, the, the beasts of the field, the, the insects that buzz. And after five days, God looks at what he's made and he says, it is good. Genesis chapter 1 verse 25, it is good. Then God creates man. So God created man in his own image. This is what sets us apart from all other created things. We are made in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them for what purpose? Verse 28, God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, increase in number. Watch this. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God looks at all that he made and he says this, not only is it good, but come on, somebody, God looks at man and says, now what I've made is very good, very good. Then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Did you know that work is a gift from God? Come on, somebody. Did you know that work was given to man as a gift before sin entered the equation? I know we like to look at work sometimes like I'd rather stay home because my COVID benefits outlasting the shutdown, but can I just tell you, if that's you, get your butt back to work. Come on. You were created for more than staying home. And waiting for another handout. Come on. You were created to produce. I read an article this week. It was some some lady talking about, she was quoted saying, I just really was so fearful of bringing another Western child into the world. I don't care what kind of child it is. You brought a child into the world. And she was saying, I'm just so, uh, uh, I was so concerned about bringing another child into the world because I just don't know if the world can handle another child. You see, this flies in the face of modern ideology that looks at the world and says, people are the problem. People are the issue. Yeah, we are the issue. You know what the issue is? People are the the greatest issue that God's concerned about. People are the apple of God's eye. You are the apple of God's eye. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. You are what made God say, and it's very, very, very good. Everything else was good, but now I've got him, and now I've got her. It's very good. You are the issue. You matter to God. God cares about you. And he didn't just create you and and just plant you on the earth and say, now go and figure it out. He he created you with a plan and a purpose to be fulfilled in you and through you. The the earth is the Lord's. It's it's not ours, but, but we're called to steward it and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We all belong to God. He founded it on the seas. He established it on the waters. God owns everything, amen. He owns it all. If we don't start here, nothing else will make sense. God owns everything. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. That's why he can say the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. It's all mine, says God And he created you and me as a steward, as a steward of that which belongs to him. I'm a steward. You're a steward. Listen, we're not not planted here just to work our field. We're, We're planted here to work God's field. We're called to steward the life that God has given us, the dream that God's placed inside of our hearts. Some of you, you have a god side dream inside of you, but you're allowing that dream to remain buried and it's gonna die with you. And you've been created to steward the dream that God's placed inside of you. We ought to be good stewards of creation. We ought to be good stewards of of the planet. But don't don't believe the, the lie and the nonsense that says people are the issue. People are the issue. The greatest issue that God's most concerned about is you and me. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. In other words, the moment God decides to lift his blessing up off of your life, you're going to know it real quick. Life is a gift from him. Every breath is a gift from God. Your mind is a gift from God. Your creativity is a gift from God. Your ingenuity is a gift from God. Your your problem-solving skills is a gift from God. Your organizational mind is a gift from God. Your entrepreneurial spirit is a gift from God. Your strength is a gift from God. Do you not even know that your bodies are temples of the Spirit of God who is in you, whom you've received from God? You aren't even your own. (laughs) You were bought at a price. You belong to God, which means that I'm not just a steward of what's around me. I'm a steward of me. I'm a steward of every gift that God's given me. And understand, what is a steward? A steward is a manager. A steward manages that which belongs to somebody else. If I can just lay down some stewardship principles for you, Today, we have to start here understanding that God owns everything, understanding that we are stewards of that which God has made. We are stewards of the life that we've been given. We are stewards of this moment. We are stewards of every God given opportunity, every God planted dream. And, and there is a responsibility that we've been given by God to steward well this life that we've been given. And yet Jesus tells us that if there's one thing that, that may be most difficult to steward, well, it's money. So I'm going to read to you one parable of Jesus, and then I'm going to teach you one principle, and then we'll call it a day. I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 25. It's a little bit lengthy, but Jesus told a lengthy story, so it must matter. Amen? Come on. I'm going to read the whole thing because Jesus. He, this is the story Jesus tells. We're just going to read it. Matthew 25. I'm in church. We're going to read the Bible. Come on, somebody. (laughs) The Bible? Yep. Jesus said this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his own ability. Now, one talent is equivalent to 20 years a man's wage. So don't be feeling sorry for the man who received one talent. That's 20 years worth of earnings. The, 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 the man who received five, that's five times 20. Come on, somebody. I don't do math on the fly when I'm on stage. <laughs> Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once, and he put his money to work, and he gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more, but the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned to settle accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The master with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came, master, he said, I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance, but whoever does not have even that which he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." Which somebody should have stepped up to say, Jesus, settle down. Come on, like that escalated really quickly. Lord Jesus slow down come on he he just he's given it back to you no that that represents a life squandered i gave it to you you did nothing with it i gave you an opportunity you let it die i planted a dream inside your heart you did nothing with it i gave you resources i gave you talent i gave you ability i gave you moments and you're just going to Give it all back to me. You did nothing with it. Jesus is so upset. Now, I'm telling you this commentary doesn't need much commentary because it's Jesus' commentary. This is his story. So all we've got to do is pull out a few principles from Jesus' story. And the first is this. Everything I have belongs to God. Like a man going on a journey, the man is God who called his servants. We are servants of God, and he entrusted his wealth, God's wealth, to the servants. Everything we have belongs to God. He is creator. Every opportunity, every gift, every ability, it all belongs to him. It all starts and ends with him. It all belongs to God. And number two, every gift and every talent that I have is on loan from God. Now, church, this is really important because after a long time the master of those servants he came back he returned and he settled accounts with them which means it's not just given there is responsibility attached to the blessing there is the responsibility to steward well what God has given us, the stewardship of the blessing. Romans chapter 14. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. What account will you give? Number three, God expects us to make the most of what He's loaned us. God expects me to make the most of what He's loaned me. And each is given to according to His ability. Notice the blessing isn't equal, God is not a socialist. Come on, somebody. The gift is linked to ability. Why? Because there's a purpose for it. We have different gifts according to the grace given us by God. He who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much, but he who is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. And to whom much is given from him, from her, much will be required. God actually knows what you can handle, and he sees how you're handling what he's already given you now. But he doesn't just give it and walk away. He gives it and he's coming back and he wants to know what did you do with what he's given you. Number four, it's wrong to bury the talent and the treasure that God has loaned me. God intends for each of us to use his gifts, not misuse his gifts, not neglect or harbor or hoard or waste his gifts. That's why Jesus applauds the first man who doubles his Talent, And the second who doubles his talent, though they were both given different amounts of talent. And yet he says to the third man who buries his talent, you wicked, lazy servant. We know according to this parable number five that what keeps us from embracing biblical stewardship is fear. I was afraid, so I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. I'm afraid. How how can I let go of anything and and trust God with everything? I'm afraid to tithe. It it takes faith to tithe. It takes faith to trust God. It, It takes faith to step out. Fear will keep you bound and stuck. It takes faith to be generous. It it takes faith to put God to the test. It, It takes faith that understands that according to this parable, if I don't use it, I'm going to lose it. Come on, somebody. Now take that which he has but has done nothing with and give it to the one who's done the most with what I've given him. At least he'll do something with it. And then here's the last, and it's the most exciting. Number seven, if I steward well what God has given me, he will, he will reward me. He will reward me. What a picture of heaven that Jesus is painting when, when he said his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I, I will now put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Jesus talked a lot about money, but it's never been about money. It's always been about our heart and the the principle of the tithe. We we get so confused when it comes to this because we think it's just about money. It's not about money, it's it's about being close to God. It's a a heart issue. I'll read it to you straight from the Word of God Malachi chapter 3, verse 3. God says this I, the Lord, do not change. It was in the beginning God then, it is in the beginning God now, it is in the beginning God forever and ever and ever and always. Since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from me. You've turned away from my decrees. You've not kept my word. So return to me, says the Lord. Does it sound like God's after our money? It sounds like He's after our heart. Return to me, says the Lord, and I will return to you. But you ask, How are we to return? God says, Will a mere mortal rob God? And yet you rob me. But you ask, How are we robbing you? And God says, In tithe and in offering, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me in other words you're not cursed because god's cursed you i would say it like this any life lived outside of the blessing of god is a cursed life by definition by default any life lived outside the blessing of god is a cursed life he says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And see if I won't prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines and your fields to not drop their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, what's the definition of tithe? It's not my definition. I'm just going to read to you straight from the Scripture, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 30. It says this, the tithe is a tenth of all you produce. It is the Lord's and it is holy. This isn't my definition. This is Scripture. You can look it up. It is the Lord's. It is holy. It is a tenth. Why do I tithe? Is it just so that the storehouse is full? That's part of it. God says, I want my house to be full. I want my house to be ready so that when I bring opportunity, my house can seize it. I I want my people to be well-positioned, to be a blessing to their cities and to be a blessing to to the nations that I planted them in. I I want my church to be able to respond to need when they see it. But the purpose of tithing, Deuteronomy chapter 14, is to teach you to always put God first in your life. This is the purpose. It's to teach you to put God first. It's, it, it, what tithing does is it helps me to fulfill the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. It helps me to fulfill the first of the Ten Commandments. There will be no other God before me. It helps to determine the trajectory of my heart. For where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. And it helps me to overcome the greatest competitor of my heart. You cannot serve both God and money. So the reality is God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And according to Jesus, what we do with what God has given us, it's like a window into the heart. God knows that it's a test of faith. That's why in the the only time in the scripture, God says, test me. He knows that it's difficult for people to step into. That's why he says, hey, just you're going to have to step into this before you actually see the benefit of it. You're just going to have to trust me, put me to the test. Clearly it's a test of faith or more people would be stepping into it. And maybe you've not stepped into it because you just didn't know what God's word said about it. Or maybe it's fear that's kept you stuck and I just, I don't know how I can take anything. I I just don't know how the math works. I don't know if I can trust God with this. Maybe you've not stepped into it because you've just outright refused to. I just wanna ask you, what will it be for you? Is it money over God, or is it God over money? Because according to Jesus, you cannot serve both God and money. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Jesus, I know this message is landing on a lot of different people differently in different ways, depending on where we are with our faith. But Lord, I pray that we would be the kind of church, the kind of people known for faith, not fear, a generous people who put you to the test and who understand how Overwhelmingly and abundantly blessed we are. That we might be a blessing to this city, a blessing to the people around us, a blessing to this nation and the world. Because that's what your church is. Your church is a blessing to the world. A world that needs hope, a world that needs the light turned on again. So Lord, I ask you by your Holy Spirit, would you move on the hearts of those who are hearing your word today? May we step into the faith and the obedience that you're calling us to step into. I also pray, God, right now for those who've yet to be forgiven, who might say, I don't know if I'm saved. The Bible says we've all sinned, we've all fallen short, but the the greatest gift of God is eternal life through Jesus, forgiveness of sin through Jesus, that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So if that's you right now, would you just pray this prayer with me and say, Jesus, here I am. I trust you as Lord and savior of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from the inside out. I give you my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me to make a difference in the world around me. In Jesus' name. Come on, church. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Come on, would you stand up on your feet and begin to worship?